Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Wild Wasteland. As always, I'm Dean Maldonado, and with me is the very oddly smiley Michael Johnson. Hello, I'm smiling. Is that how you smile? You sound like you like you carry a lantern and like you work at a graveyard, and for some reason you think that like cloaks are still in. Well, I'm wearing a cloak. I don't know why you aren't. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> comes here eventually. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is the, that is the creepiest and most accurate thing that uh, that a guy at a graveyard could say to you. <laughs> Everyone's dying to get in. <laughs> I I hate that one. I hate that one. What? That's the only joke I have. It's. <laughs> I've been working on about, it for two hundred years. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, pay me two hundred fifty bucks, and I'm gonna do an eight week comedy course to help you improve your uh, joke writing, Mister. What was it again? Acula. Mm. Yes, Doctor Acula. <laughs> Oh, love that. Creatures of the night. Scrubs. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't we actually tell these people what we're going to fucking talk about today? Yeah, we're talking about Dracula today, bitches. Get the fucking cloaks on. Put your glasses on. Get your reading. No. What? No, 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 sir. We're going to continue where we left off. So in this uh, giant escapade into breakfast cereals we just left off at what i'm sure you're kind of wondering of a like a what the fuck with uh the great disappointment yeah right i sure was disappointed millerism yeah man jesus was supposed to come back and he didn't i didn't get it i'd be pissed i'd be i'd be honestly i'd be super pissed but um so we're talking about this woman ellen g white Ooh. And we'll, I mean, we'll mention her husband a little bit, but it's mostly, it's mostly Ellen G. White. Uh, she was born in 1827, uh, and then in 2014, she was actually named one of the hundred most significant Americans of all time. Wow, what the hell did she do? Exactly, like you haven't heard of her, have you? Uh, no, but I don't really pay attention to what women do. That's fair. Yeah, you're pretty misogynistic, and that's what I love about you. Yeah. Mm. I, I see your name. So, I'm like, uh, Ellen. Ellen DeGeneres? <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's that lesbo, right? <laughs> <laughs> she had to pretend to be as you're, straight. As you're picking the lint out of your belly button? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I am um, also a side With the shirt that, like, no matter what people tell you, they're like, it's a wife beater. <clears throat> yeah. Get, 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 I told her twice. <laughs> uh, also, uh, I've been calling note. this the serial series. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. I'm down with that. The serial series. It's a good one. It's better than like the serial serial. Yeah. Serial. Yeah. On serial. Well, because it's our- I guess it'd be a bit too uh, meta. Yeah. No, well, it would also not make sense. It's, this isn't a serial. Not at all. No, we're not picked up. If anything, we're put down by society. Yeah. So either way, um, so Ellen was born and actually had a, a twin sister, Elizabeth, 
and they were born to uh, Robert and Eunice Harmon uh, at home, obviously, because it's 1827. It's not like you get like an ambulance ride with a horse and carriage to the local hospital. You just birth them at home. Uh, in a place called Gorham, Maine. And it's actually in the most, like southwest end of Maine. And it's one of seven townships that was kind of gifted to the settlers after they won King Philip's War. Which, uh, go listen to episode 41 if you want to hear more about King Philip's War and like uh, the magic of the U.S. But, um, so her father was a farmer who also, he was a hat maker. Where, uh, this is actually where I found out a, a very fun little a little factoid that, Mike, do you know anything about how they make, how they used to make hats uh, and like where the phrase mad as a hatter comes from? Yeah, mad hatter. It's because uh, they, uh, they would use like, what, like mercury or something? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Or some shit? Yeah. Yeah, they would use a specific type of mercury uh, to make hats. And really, it was to treat the fur and make it into felt. And it was a process. It's a process called carroting. Carroting. Um, yeah. Like the vegetable. Mm-hmm. Huh. Why? But her father, I don't know. <laughs> her father uh, was, <laughs> was a little bit, I would say, crazier than most hatters of the time who made their hats out of felt. Uh, he made hats using pure mercuric nitrate. Wow. Oh. Which is a toxic, colorless, uh, or like white, soluble, kind of crystal version of like a of mercury. Why the fuck would someone use that? I don't know. He was crazy. Oh, <clears throat> he was mad as a hatter. It's like uh, I like what this uh, mercury does to me. Let's get the crazier, colorless, odorless, everything else. No reason to even use it, mercury, on here too. No, it's like, let's make the entire hat out of that. Oh. It's like, I have so much of this shit left over. Let's just make the hat completely out of mercuric nitrate. Yum. And let's make the plates and our utensils out of it, too. Yeah, why not, right? Put it in your mouth. <laughs> but so, <laughs> uh, she she went back and forth between, like, uh, Gorham and Portland, mm. like, with her family a good amount. Because when she was nine years old, uh, and they were she and her family were living in Portland, Maine, uh, she got like beamed in the face by a rock. Oh, by who? Yeah, she got like I don't know. Oh. Didn't say <laughs> a rock from the sky. It was God. It could. Uh, I mean, it could have been mean kids. It could have been like a like a wagon wheel, like shot it backward. Like it could have been like kicked by a horse. Who knows? It, but it like it lightly fucked up her face. Oh, is what happened, and she was very embarrassed about it. And uh, she actually said that 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 injury started her conversion. And she said, uh, she said this misfortune, which for a time seemed so bitter and was so hard to bear has proved to be a blessing in disguise. Oh. 
The cruel blow which blighted the joys of earth was the means of turning my eyes to heaven. I might never had known Jesus Christ had not the sorrow that clouded my early years led me to seek comfort in him. Yeah, but he was probably the one that threw the rock at you. Yeah, I mean, he was like, hey, bitch, come find yeah, me. hey, bitch. <laughs> it's like, um, that was like a 19 Jeez. or an 1836 version of uh, the text saying, like, are you up? Yeah, right? It's just a slingshot <laughs> hurling a stone at your face. I wonder if it was written on it. <laughs> bashing your nose into your skull, and then you're like, I feel like I have a pig nose. It's like, no, honey, you do, but like, don't be sad about it because it's like that forever. Oh, great. Um, so a few years after her injury, she uh, she and her parents started attending a uh, Methodist camp meeting, which is what one of the things the Methodists did. It's called camp, literally, where they had everyone come out. Like, it's a giant-ass summer camp. Yeah, yeah. They had, like, a big Methodist time. <laughs> and that was in uh, that was in Buxton, Maine. And while they were there, in 1839, she was 12 years old and had a breakthrough. And then she had a conversion experience and felt at peace. What the fuck does that, like, what does this mean? Basically, she, like, feels like she saw and felt God, and she's a full-on staunch believer now. Oh. At age 12. Yeah, some people, they find their passion at a young age. Uh, mm-hmm. Jeffrey Dahmer famously uh, collected bones around his house and told his father at, like, eight years old, I like the way the bones sound. Yeah, he also buried the cat alive. And then dug it up later to play with its dead body. Well, who hasn't done that? Me? Oh. A lot of people? At least I hope. Mm, I think most people have done it. Either way. (laughs) All right, getting off of killing (laughs) cats. Uh, There's a million ways to do it. By the way, in 1840, uh, so she's around 13 years old. She was like, I think she was like just before her uh, 13th birthday. It's really hard to find exact dates for a lot of this stuff. Yeah. But I did my best uh, through looking at different people's journals in her family. Like uh, her dad kept a pretty good journal. But so um, in 1840, her family became involved with the Millerite movement. Oh. Which we talked about last episode. Previous episode, episode 70. Mm-hmm. Because uh, William Miller came to one of their camp meetings and was a great or- orator, and he did a lecture. And so uh, he like he did a lecture, and she had her come to Jesus moment already. And so it was weird because at twelve years old, she started already feeling guilty for her sins. And was like filled with with fear about being eternally lost. Oh man! And like her soul was lost to Satan. <laughs> Jesus, that's horrific. I felt like that too when I was like a young guy, like twelve or whatever. I would be like, ah, I've wasted so much time with my life. I need to get my shit together. Still haven't done it. 
<laughs> Still haven't done it. Well, I mean, it's, it's the effort that counts, right? Yeah, you know, just like the feeling guilty part helps, I guess. Mm-hmm. But so, two years later, on June 26th, 1842, she was baptized at uh, Casco Bay in Portland, Maine, and was a Millerite, so she was very excited for Jesus to come again, because as you, you know, it's 1842, he's supposed to come any time between 1843 and 1844. And she's a fucking 14-year-old girl. She's so excited. Oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot about this. This is leading up to the Great Disappointment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh, man. And uh, she actually, in reflection on those years, said that those were the happiest times of her life. She was 14. Of course they are. Yeah, and Jesus was about to come back. Yeah, I guess like if you have that and you're like that devout, yes, that too. Yeah. Well, yeah, they, I mean, they were so devout that she and her family were actually uh, disfellowed. I guess they, they, they were disfellowshipped by the local Methodist church because they were Millerites. Yeah, the Methodists... Um they believe in more like uh less crazy shit yeah i mean i kind of believe that yeah they they're more the uh the toned down version of the religion whereas millerists seem very insane yeah they're very uh woke <laughs> so <laughs> sometime in 1845 Right after the um, the the great disappointment, at one of these uh, with like the Millerites, they were still together at that point. That's where Ellen actually met her future husband, James Springer White, and they got married a year later, August thirtieth of eighteen forty six. Hmm. Now they had four sons. Uh, only two of which made it made it to adulthood. What happened to the other two? They died. Oh, is that what that means? I thought they just stayed children forever. I guess they did. Yeah. All right, Peter Pan. <laughs> it's eighteen forty six. Like kids die all the time. Yeah, shit. That's why you have like fifteen kids. What do you do? Eat them, or do you like th- throw them away, or do you hey, bury them? Bury them in like a shoebox in the backyard. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, but so uh, the two who made it to adulthood was uh, James Edson, who went just by Edson, and uh, William Clarence, who goes who went by either Willie or W.C. And uh, both her sons end up taking uh, positions in what becomes the family business. Mm. Which uh, I guess I should tell you is um, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So you've heard of Seventh-day Adventism, right? No, I have no idea what the hell that is. Really? Yeah, what is that? I'm a Jew, and I've heard of Seventh-day Adventism. I, What is that? Sunday? <laughs> it's a massive church. It's the... They're, they're Protestant, and they, uh, you know, they, they follow the Sabbath. They, they're very Jewish. Oh. Christians. What, uh, what kind of meals do they eat? Um, so they are strictly uh, vegetarian, and a lot of a lot of them are actually turning to be vegan nowadays. Wow, really? But mm-hmm. oh, 
Yeah, they currently they have uh twenty one million four hundred fourteen thousand seven hundred seventy nine members. Wow. Mm-hmm. To this day. And so Ellen White and her husband, James, with uh this guy Joseph Bates, who was one of their friends, I mean, she basically unofficially did everything. She never had a full title at all, because she was a woman. But she ran and created the entire Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, just like uh, the store in L.A. Hmm? It was... Elaborate. Uh, it got founded by, uh, what's her name, Mary or Maggie? The, um... Uh, Polly Shore's uh, mother. She uh, oh. she started the uh, the whole the store and everything and all the comedy around it and okayed everything. Uh, she passed away last year, I think, or the year before. Damn. Yeah, but she was pretty much running wow. for like fucking forty, fifty years, however long it's been open. Yeah, I mean, well, Ellen Ellen guided the denomination in the 1870s and uh, turned them into doing a lot of missionary work and revivals. And like, they're, they're really good people. Oh, cool. They're pacifists. Um, They actually, they, all of them are conscientious objectors. That was something that was pretty interesting about the seventh day Adventists is there's like a whole thing where our government tested like a bunch of like just like biochemical weapons on Seventh-day Adventists. Really? That's fucking nuts. Well, because the the Seventh-day Adventists are all um conscientious objectors, but they're still patriots. And so when they heard that the military was looking for people to go through these uh these trials, these medical trials, they were like, well, we won't, we're, we don't allow ourselves to go to war for the country, so I guess we can do this for the country. Really? That's nuts. Do they, uh, can they see doctors? Yeah. Yeah, they can. Oh. They're, they even, they build hospitals all over the place. Seem like a real nice. They're, they're really good people. Group of people. Mm-hmm. But so, it was all founded on the fact that uh, Ellen White experienced visions Mm, crazy okay okay so from 1844 to 1863 she was ages 17 to 36 ellen experienced between one and 200 visions wow which typically took place in public meeting halls or like uh you know town halls like very public places okay? ah so she could get Which the most initially views. i was like all right that's that's attention yeah right yeah she was just making up bullshit uh yeah she was just making up some bullshit probably coming while she was doing it I mean, maybe. She was just, like, shaking. She, she did experience her first vision uh, very soon after the Great Disappointment in 1844. Oh. Okay. Definitely. Like, I want to say less than a month afterwards. Like, okay. She's like, sees all, all the attention the Great Disappointment caused, and she's like, I know how to get as much attention for my cause. I guess, but honestly, I believe that she was having some kind of genuine experience. Was she wearing her father's hat? She was having. 
What? Was she wearing her father's hats? No. Yeah. She was wearing her dad's hats. Some of that mercury. No, her dad only made men's hats. Come on. Oh, ladies. Why would women need hats? They always just stay inside. Ladies wear men hats. Where were the hats back Not in then? the 1840s. Top hats? What were people wearing? No way. Top. You know that top hats, when they first came out, the, the first guy to wear a top hat was like ridiculed, screamed at, and people threw rocks at him because, and they, like, women and children shielded their eyes from his disgusting hat. Wow. <laughs> There's an awesome news article on it. I can I can find it for you. I'll send it your way. <laughs> yeah, I'll definitely um, look into that. It's really it's You're really like, funny. oh my god, avert your eyes. They're like it's a monstrosity. He's wearing a hat. <laughs> it's so tall. Um. The nerve of this man. Does he even have nerves? Can hats feel? No. All right. So back to back to Ellen. All right. Because she had between a hundred and two hundred of these visions. All right. I'm about to tell you. Th- this is the description of from multiple people of her during her visions. Okay. In passing into vision. She gives three enrapturing shouts of glory, which echo and re-echo the second and especially the third, fainter but more thrilling than the first, the voice resembling that of one quite a distance from you and just going out of hearing. What? What the hell are you talking about? Wait, I'm so confused. It's like, literally, she would just like start, she would scream three times the word glory. Yeah. But it would like get quieter and sound like she was literally physically moving away from them as she was saying it. Even if she was standing right, like glory. Yeah, she glory. she didn't move. Yeah, she didn't move at all. Huh? So for a few minutes she would swoon, which is basically you know lightly faint and have no yeah. strength. And then she would be immediately filled with superhuman strength. Sometimes she would raise, you know, her feet and wa- to her feet and walk around the room. She frequently moved her hands and her arms and her head in gestures that were very free and graceful. Oh, she's just becoming an Italian. Um, but whatever position she moved her hands or arms in, she couldn't like nobody could stop her from doing it. Nor could they like they couldn't stop her from moving her arms. Nor could they like hold her arms down. Even the strongest person in the room couldn't. Italian. And to test this, this is crazy. In 1845, I guess at one of these points in her vision, she had her hands outstretched to either side with her palms up. And somebody, it was at her house, and somebody put their her family's Bible in her hand, in her left hand, this is an 18 and a half pound Bible. Jesus. And it stayed in her left hand without her arm buckling at all. Completely outstretched for half an hour. Oh, she just stand there screaming for like half hour? No, no, no. She only shouts three times. Oh. Oh, and then she's getting the vision. Mm-hmm. She's not talking. And so, and just so you know, she only weighed 80 pounds. Oh, she did. Yeah, she only weighs 80 pounds. Wow. And she held an 18 and a half pound Bible 
for half an hour on an outstretched arm. Jeez, that's like holding up half of her body. I mean, honestly, if you take any book, take don't, don't just don't even put anything on your arm. Try and hold your arm outstretched for a half an hour without moving it. Mm-hmm. That's so hard. It, she must have been like uh, bench pressing somewhere. No one was watching her. Maybe. Well, one of the craziest parts. She's getting ripped. The, the, it, it gets it gets crazier and crazier. Just so you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm wait. I'm, I can't wait. So her visions usually ranged anywhere from 15 minutes to three hours. Oh my god, it's like a podcast. And for the well, the entirety of her vision, she did not breathe. How they know? They had doctors examine her because <laughs> her heart was beating regularly. And her face stayed in this like happy or more neutral state, but she would literally go for hours at a time without breathing at all. Yeah, I've I've seen a few women her, like her, that, just screaming. Her eyes, uh, like her head gets raised, and she's looking kind of upward in a pleasant expression, and she doesn't blink the entire time. Oh, that's weird. Now that's creepy. Mm-hmm. So she's not blinking, she's not breathing, she is superhumanly strong and flails around randomly oh. and can't be stopped. She just like walks and through she's a wall enti- at some point, and just <laughs> like Superman. She could, she could Kool-Aid man, she could probably do that. Oh yeah, I've seen God. But so she was in, she was entirely unconscious of everything that was going on around her. Yeah. You know, and she, she when she came out of it, she would always say that she was like removed from the world in the presence of a of a heavenly being. My, oh. my. But when she came out of a vision, she also said that everything would look dark, hmm. even if uh, it was the middle of the day or she was in a well lit room at night, and she would just let out this real long drawn sigh. And then take her first natural breath, and then she would just say, dark, and she would just go limp. Oh. Isn't that fucking crazy? That's that's pretty weird. I, I don't really know what to take away from this. And she had between one and 200 of these, and all of them are recorded. Oh, really? They were recorded? Yeah. Like audio? No, like... The people in the room with her were recording everything that happened, like her husband, all the other people that were running the Seventh-day Adventist church, because they got all of their instructions from her first few visions. Oh. Too bad we don't have that now. We could record it with our cell phones. Yeah, that would be nice. But, like, um, so, so in December of 1844... It was when she had her first vision. Uh-huh. What was it? Which is like a month. It's like a month and a half after uh, the Great Disappointment. Mm, that's too bad. That was so disappointing. So, I know. Well, so she went to a prayer meeting at Mrs. Haynes' house in South Portland, Maine. And I do have a quote from her, from Ellen. Okay. She said, uh, At this time, I visited one of our Advent sisters 
And in the morning, we bowed around the family altar, and it was not an exciting occasion. And there were uh, there were but five of us present, all females. While praying, the power of God came upon me as I had never felt it before, and I was wrapped up in a vision of God's glory. It seemed to be rising higher and higher from the earth and was shown something of the travels of the Advent people to the holy city. Hmm. Uh, so in this first version, the Advent people were traveling a high and dangerous path towards the city of New Jerusalem, or heaven, and their path was lit from behind by a bright light which an angel told me was the midnight cry. Weird. Some travelers grew weary and we and were encouraged by Jesus. Others denied the light and the light behind them went out and they fell off the path into the dark and wicked world below. The vision also showed Christ's second coming, which the Advent people in which the Advent people would enter New Jerusalem, and it ended with her returning to the earth, feeling lonely, desolate, and longing for that better world. Yeah, that's what people say when they have um, near-death experiences, that they go to like this, uh, this place that just fills you full of joy and stuff. Yeah, that and, like, they do see a light. Yeah. That's weird. Which is crazy. That's uh, Maybe that's what she's experiencing, like a hit of uh, dopamine in her brain. Could be. Um, kind of sounds like... It wasn't long. It was only uh, three months. Oh. So in 1845, she had her second vision. Oh, we're going to go through all of her visions? <laughs> all 200? No, 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 no. Only, 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 only the first like two or three, because oh. those are the ones that really made a lot of uh, impression on the church. Oh, okay. We could do all two hundred if you could find them. I don't want to. I can. I know where they are. I, I have them. I don't want to read through all of them and <laughs> tell you all of them. Ah, ah. The only interesting ones were the ones where the physicians were in there. Oh yeah, what'd they say? Her butthole extended three they were, they times. Were, they were astounded. It was large. No, they were checking her pulse. They were checking her pupils. Like they wouldn't. Her pupils wouldn't dilate when they shined a light in it. It was nuts. Odd. Um, very. She's high, dude. But <laughs> smoking that crack, probably. So in February of 1845, she had her second vision. This time, she was in Exeter, Maine, which uh, this was then known as the bridegroom vision. Mm. And uh, together with the third vision about the new earth and the visions. Uh, gave continued meaning to the October 44, uh, 1844 experience and supported the developing spiritualizing views of many fanatical Adventists by portraying the Father and Jesus as literal beings in, he- in heaven as a physical place. Oh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just sounds like Scientology that to was, me. Uh, yeah, but Scientology won't come around for another what, like two, um, like a uh, hundred plus years. Yeah, no, I think it was starting like nineteen sixty or something. 
Yeah, that's what that's what you have to remember. Is like this is well before. Hell, this is the same time that like Joseph Smith is discovering <laughs> the golden plates. Maybe it's connected. I mean, they're all from the same district. They're all from the burnt over district. I think that maybe there was like lead in the water, and that's how they all saw God. But whatever. Yeah. Or maybe they're both talking to each other, like how who wants to start the first uh, scam religion first? Mm-hmm. No, I mean they all they all truly believed in a lot of what they talked about, you know. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been so moving to these people. Because everyone and their sister was an orator in these days. That was the big thing of the day, was to go to like a town hall and listen to two great orators uh, debate a topic for like seven hours at a time. Yeah, when you didn't have TV and or improv classes, I guess that's what you had or to do. Or radio. Internet. Yeah, could you imagine? Yeah, no, I'd be fucking... I'm having visions too. That, that's why people were reading so many books. They actually at one point thought that books were going to uh, ruin ruin humanity and like children the same way they thought TV was and the internet. But either way, yeah. Uh, supposedly, this is my favorite part. Is that supposedly oh. she didn't want to tell anybody about her visions, <laughs> and she said especially not in the. The people of the Millerite faith, because she was worried uh, that they wouldn't believe her, I guess. Yeah. They believed in uh, Miller, (laughs) William Miller. Like, why wouldn't they believe her? Right? It kind of makes sense, though. You're like, ah, they won't believe me now after, you know, the great disappointment. The great disappointment. Yeah. Uh, However... At her parents' house, she received what she regarded as confirmation of her ministry. And she said, While praying, the thick darkness that had enveloped me was scattered. A bright light, like a ball of fire, came towards me. And as it fell upon me, my strength was taken away. I seemed to be in the presence of Jesus and the angels. Again, it was repeated. Make known to others what I have revealed to you. Which, like, come on, come on, that kind of a quote. Come on, come on. how could this? Come how on. could this be? Uh, you sure you not want to tell people? You sure? Yeah. You just told me that Jesus and an angel told you to make known to others what I revealed to you. So you better do it. And so, actually, well, and then. <laughs> She has a change of mind, I guess. Oh. Um, and she starts giving public te- she starts giving testimony in public meetings and uh Methodist class meetings uh that were in like private homes. And um all of these things she actually arranged. <laughs> exactly. She had to do it all, man. She had to start this is a grassroots uh movement. You gotta start it all from the houses, private parties. Classes, yeah, but I love that just like that quick flip to like from like I don't want to tell anyone, especially no Millerites, to like because it's only like a month or two later that she's like, Well, now I got my confirmation of ministry from Jesus, and then I just started arranging these meetings <clears throat> and telling everyone. And it's like, What the fuck? That's the way you got to do it, man. <laughs> that was it. That was- 
This, this is another quote from her that I love. This is about her actually making the meeting. She has said, uh, I arranged a meeting with my young friends, some of whom were considerably older than myself, and a few were married persons. A number of them were vain and thoughtless. <laughs> my experience sounded to them like an idle tale, and they did not heed my my uh, entreaties. Uh, but I determined that my efforts should never cease till these dear souls for whom I had so great an interest yielded to God. Several entire nights were spent in my earnest prayer for those whom I had sought out and brought together for the purpose of laboring and praying with them. So she was like, uh-uh. Uh-uh. I don't care if you think this is bullshit. We're going to pray until you believe me. Ooh, I like that. That's called Stockholm Syndrome. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. They didn't know about that. They were like, "Where? what is Stockholm? Is that a... Is that a where, where is it? Is that a city somewhere? No, it sounds like a person. Who's that? But, um, so by 1846... The word had started to spread about Ellen White and her visions because she was published in the Daily Star, which was a Millerite paper in Cincinnati, on January 24th, 1846. Wow. And, mm-hmm. Well, this is the craziest thing, is that in 1849, uh, James White, Ellen's husband, started the first Sabbatarian, which means people... Uh, Sabbatarian Adventist, which is, uh, you know, Adventist people who keep the Sabbath. Oh. Uh, he made a periodical called The Present Truth, which later changes its name to Adventist Review. And Adventist Review is still printed to this Jesus day. Jesus Christ. That's a 150-year-old, 170-year-old yeah. uh, uh, newspaper. It it still has nearly thirty thousand paid subscribers. Uh, it is the official news magazine and TV ministry of the Seventh Day Adventist wow, Church. That's nuts! That's more subscribers than um, the New York Times. What's crazier is that you can go on whatever streaming thing you have—a Roku, a Fire Stick, a Google uh, TV, PlayStation, whatever. You can get the Adventist Review TV network <laughs> as a as an app. Wow! Have you on any of your devices? Have you checked? If this you want to know more about the Seventh Day Adventists, have you gone on uh, Adventist Church streaming? No, I've read all of their shit. Why would I go and watch <laughs> them tell me about it? You don't want to be indoctrinated. That's like when I. Uh, no, that's that's what I hate about like uh like like news stories nowadays where I go like to to NBC or CBS or CNN any of these three lettered bullshit news articles where like I click on it and like half the page is a video that is literally narrating the text below and I'm like shut the fuck up and let me read. Yeah, that's a that's a big issue with all these fucking like uh Yahoo and everything else. Really? They all do that. I will shit. never speak poorly about Yahoo. <laughs> Ever. Oh, okay. Ever, sir. Sorry. 
Catch me on AOL though. Catch me outside. Oh my god. How about that. Mm-hmm. So in eighteen fifty five, Ellen and James White were convinced to move to Battle Creek, Michigan with their publishing business by four substantial pledges. Wow. Four people gave them like very substantial monetary aid to move their business and themselves to Battle Creek, Michigan. Okay. Do we know uh, what? Like, do we know who the uh, the pledges where the pledges were from? Well, we only know one, and it came from John Preston Kellogg. Wait a second. Who is the father of the Kellogg brothers? <gasps> That's such a fake gasp. <laughs> You, you you sounded you sound like you just walked into uh, the surprise party for yourself that you planned. Well, I did plan it. <gasps> you you sound like every time that Daniel Radcliffe is shocked in Harry Potter one, two, or three. <clears throat> just very unbelievable. <gasps> oh, Potter again! <laughs> oh. R.I.P. Alan Rickman, man. That guy was the OG. I am Alan Rickman. Yakatoma Plaza (laughs) is mine. Mm. Oh, no, I'm falling to my death in the movie. Um, So I guess I should do a quick side note on basically the entire history of her husband. I'm down. Because technically... Technically, he's the guy with his name on all this shit. Oh, you know, he's the seven day Advantis. I mean, kinda, kinda. She's way more influential than he is. Yeah, no, typical. That's why it's actually, it's actually a pretty quick side oh, note. Okay. Um. So James White, what's his middle name? It's a uh, James Springer White. Ooh. Love it. He was born uh, August 4th, 1821 in Palmyra, Maine. He was the fifth of nine children and was a sickly child who suffered from fits and seizures. Yeah, but like back then, usually gave him a stick to bite on, you know? It's true. No one had wallets. Yeah. Well, he also had a very poor eyesight because, you know, fuck this guy. <laughs> yeah, one more which, thing. Uh, which, so that, that prevented him from getting any kind of an education. So he worked on the family farm because, you know, you don't need to see to push a plow. I guess not. And you just have to keep walking straight. Oh, how's, how's um, James doing on that plow? Oh, his lines are a little crooked. It's all fucked up. He's just walking in circles. <laughs> the center of the field. You're doing great, bud. Thank Dad. Keep it up. Oh, I have, I'm I'm getting a seizure. Yeah, right. In the middle of the field. Yeah. So now his lines are really fucked. Ugh. Oh my god! Can you imagine? Terrible. So in 1836, at age 15, he was baptized into. Uh, the Christian connection Ooh. and learned of the Millerite, the Millerites from his parents. Mm-hmm. And so 
after hearing a powerful preacher at an Advent camp in Exeter, Maine, which is, I'm pretty sure, where he actually ran into his future wife. It could have been. I believe. Could very well have been. No. Had had to be later. Had to be way later. It had to be way later. No, he met her Um, uh, as she was like a a six-year-old girl. Yeah, he did meet her in Exeter, Maine, though, at like an Advent camp. Oh, okay. So what what this did was it, it, it made James decide to leave teaching. Well, I don't know what the fuck is this. This happened with uh, Sylvester. No, not, yeah, Sylvester. No, it happens actually with, with people coming up. It's with some of the Kellogg boys. Um, but, like, James White had no education, and he became a teacher. How did he? That doesn't even make any sense. He couldn't even see. I know. What was he teaching? How not to see things? I don't know. <laughs> he was a teacher at age 15 with no education and worked the farm. And then he was like, fuck this. I'm going to go become a preacher. Oh, he went from teacher to preacher? Mm-hmm. He made the leap. Okay. Uh, however, <laughs> four years later, when he's 19, his eyesight randomly improves. Yeah, that just happens. <laughs> and so he goes to school immediately. To become a teacher. No, to become a minister. Oh. Okay. What's the difference between a minister and a Now that he preacher? can, like, I don't know. I'm Jewish. I think a preacher is just the person who preaches. To uh, hopefully they have um like a group of people to preach to. But I feel like a minister is like a specifically like ordained person by some higher decree. You know, like they went to some kind of schooling for it. Right. Okay. So like a preacher is like like a contractor out person, and a minister is given a church or something. I think so. That kind of makes sense. I think like a minister is kind of like a like a pastor. Oh, okay. Or like a rabbi. Where like they're like the head of the church. But anybody can be a preacher. Yeah. Like as long as you vocally can get people excited and wrapped up in whatever you're talking about, whatever you're preaching. You're fine. No, I get it. That's why uh, Martin Luther King Jr. was so good at speaking. He was a preacher. Oh, okay. It's like um, anyone um, can drive a car, but you can't just become a bus driver. Correct. Uh, what's his name? Jim Jones. He was a preacher. I think he was a minister. He oh. had his own well, congregation. I guess he went to school. Either way, okay, back to, back to James White, because I, I don't want to get taken off into this uh, whole let's all drink the Kool-Aid kind of thing, you it know? Was fla- it was Flavor-Aid, but yeah. Flavor-Aid? Yeah. Never heard of it. Not on the shelves anymore. Uh, wonder why. Uh, because uh, they had the opportunity to uh, to advertise for one of the largest massacres of all time, but they decided maybe not. They chose not to. They're like, they're like M&M's. With E.T. Right. Where they were like, nah, things gonna fucking fail. 
And then Reese's was like, hey, we just made this thing called Reese's Pieces. You want to put that in the movie? They look like M&M's? And they're like, yeah. Yeah, they look like M&M's. Oh, we'll just do that then. Mm-hmm. And that is the first uh, product placement in history. I don't think that's is that I guess true? paid for product placement. That doesn't sound true at all. Yeah, no, that's true. Now, there was product placement in the seventies in movies. Yeah, television has always had product placement. No, in movies. In movies, there was very little product placement. Whatever. It's not like they're like, here, have a camel cigarette. <laughs> we only smoke camels because Joe is cool. You know, like. Well, E.T. wasn't like, I want the Reese's Pieces, please. Yeah, but they went out of their way to show the rapper, to show them, like, opening it and eating them and stuff like that. Like, that's not something that they did. It's similar to, like, um, how there was one, we, we've talked about this before, but there was, like, one year in the mid-2000s where they, like, must have changed some advertising law so that they could uh, use their competitor's name in the advertisements, you know? Oh, yeah. Because for a long time it was like, uh, better than the next best brand. But now they're like, fuck you, AT&T, Verizon's the best. Look at our marbles. And it's like, what? (laughs) And Sprint is like, we're going to buy your old mascot. The guy who looked like the guy who was the subway dude who we don't want to talk about anymore. That guy. Yeah, we want our own pedophile. The, 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 we want the can you hear me now guy. Oh, right. Remember? You remember can you hear me now? That thing that thing from the from from the from the nineties that it kind of died out like the was up phase. But uh we, we want him <laughs> now. They got him. We don't want the we don't want the cool hip uh top of the commercial charts guy yeah we want him when he is in the gutter <laughs> and desperate for work <laughs> yeah i think they'll use him for like one commercial we want this man to look pitiful no they use him for all of their commercials oh really yeah how about if that guy is finds out that he's a pedophile it's like god damn it well they just don't want to check his computer <laughs> it's sprint you know it's not like they have like great internet oh that's a rough one Nah, it'd be rough if it was Comcast. Duh, you're telling me. Yeah, that's what I got. So either way, back to James yeah, White. Yeah, what happened with James White? So he actually was an v- incredible preacher uh, because here's he went on this like really long... After he was ordained as a minister in, at 22 years old in 1843... He went, he was probably 23 at this point because it was the winter yeah. of 1843 where he went, uh, you know, uh, I guess kind of like early missionary work where he was going out to spread the word of m- the Millerite message. Um, And he preached so powerfully in the winter of 1843, right after he got out of the, being, the school to be a minister, he convinced 1,000 people to accept the Millerite message in one single time preaching. Jesus, that's a lot of people. Yeah, could you imagine just being able to get your voice all the way back to the end of 1,000 people? Yeah. 
with with no amplification? Oh man, that's crazy. That's probably why he convinced so many people. They're like, "What is he saying?" Ah, it's probably good. <laughs> it's it's like uh, it's actually probably one of my like one of my favorite scenes in, in cinema history, which is the uh, the Sermon of the Mount scene in uh, the Life of Brian by Monty Python. How's that go? Well, they got a lot of Christian groups because Christian groups love to get mad about things, you know. They love signing petitions. Well, who doesn't? Like almost, almost as much as like white women love crafting to protest, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> is the Sermon on the Mount scene, and the Christian groups groups got upset because they're like, "You're making fun of Jesus," and they're like, "Not at all. If you listen to what Jesus is saying, he is word for word saying the Sermon on the Mount from the Bible." But the scene is taking place very far back in the crowd. And all the guys are like, what? What did he say? And we're like, shut up, I can't hear him. (laughs) Yeah, especially if they're Jewish. Forget about it. It's a phenomenal scene. But, um, right, so not not all of his preaching worked. Um, There was a time that he recorded in his journals of his travels that uh, there was an angry mob that threw snowballs at him until he ran out of town. Uh-huh. Not much has changed in 150 years. No, except now we use bullets. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, so three years after that, yeah, he must have not married. He, he, he didn't meet her until... When he was 25, he met Ellen, and they married in 1846, so he was 26. And she was 12 uh, years old. No, I think she was like 14. Yikes. Let me check for you. Yikes. Uh, no, she was 19. Oh, Yikes. Which I feel like I feel like that's that's like a late age to get married in like the eighteen forties. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you're getting hitched at like fourteen, fifteen. That's what I was thinking. You know? <sighs> Not much has changed um, in 150 way. years. <laughs> Except we use bullets. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, so then, as I told you before, James made The Present Truth, and he was the editor until 1851. Um, and then he gave it to this guy, uh, Uriah Smith, who was actually the longest editor in the periodical's history. Wow. Because he served for 50 years straight. What? what? <laughs> yeah, he served as the editor... This guy, Uriah Smith, served as the editor from 1851 to 1901. Crazy. That guy was not giving up his editor right? position. No, I'm sure there were a lot of interns that were very upset. Yeah, 50 years of them. Like, when's this guy going to quit? Yeah, he's gone through like 15 apprentices. Uh, one more year. Uh, <laughs> well, so... James was obviously very high up in the Seventh-day Adventist church. Right. And he actually 
served as the general conference president from 1865 to 1867, and then again from 69 to 71, and then again from 74 to 80. What is this guy, uh, Vladimir Putin? What does he just keep dropping out just to come back in? Kind of, because at the same time, he was a very prolific writer, and he published for the Adventists. Ah, oh, he's playing both and, sides uh, actually, of the coin. Not at all. <laughs> it's the same side of the coin. Oh. It's all Seventh-day Adventism that he's pushing. Oh, okay. Uh, and actually, his most popular works were written between uh, 1868 and 1880, which is like the entire time that he was the general conference president. Oh, okay, shit. Well, if you think that that's impressive, he actually did all of that even though he suffered from a paralytic stroke in 1865. Wow. What is that? Yeah. A stroke that paralyzes at least half of you. Oh, so he was um, in a wheelchair. Either that, or was limping around. Jeez, oh, that sucks. This guy is going through a rough. And one, he man. was, he was the general conference president three times in a row. He was a prolific writer the whole time, and was physically himself publishing the books. He didn't have any publishing houses He's, back then to to look at your work and de- decline it. Well, what's really interesting um, was what came up when I was looking into the guy who's going to be in our next episode, John Harvey Kellogg. Whoa, hey, watch uh, out. Don't put the, the cart before the horse there, buddy. Well, because James White and John Harvey Kellogg were very close. Oh, shit. How close? Because John Harvey worked for him uh, as like a child in his publishing factory. And basically, John Harvey's job was to spell check, more or less, before they printed. And like that was his... I'll talk about that in the next episode, but they were incredibly close. Oh, shit. That's wild. Um, closer, closer than John... Uh, sorry, James was to any of his children. <laughs> he was closer to John Harvey. That's funny. Um, but so he eventually retired from the ministry and hoped to live out his days gracefully. And he bowed out at 1880. And then, sadly, the summer of 1881, James came down with a fever and he was taken to the Battle Creek Sanitarium where his, you know, favorite son, who isn't his son, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, tried to save him. Um, And sadly, he could not save James White, and James White died at age 60 in 1881. Oh, my God, a year after he fucking left. That's that's mm-hmm. always what happens when you it's try like, to retire. Like you, I'm like, ah, I'll retire now, and it's like, no, you're not. You're gonna be dead within six months. <laughs> I mean, hey, Jesus Christ. Maybe the church was keeping him alive. Maybe. Um, but so okay, back back to Ellen White. All right. We'll go. We'll go back to. Ellen. Oh, thank goodness! Yeah, back to the uh, main character of the uh, 
of uh, of this whole so, thing. Thank you. Uh, so Ellen herself was a very prolific writer, like her husband. She wrote more than 40 books and 5,000 periodical articles. Wow. Uh, fully collected, there are over 50,000 manuscript pages of her writings. Ah, jeesh. That's crazy. That's a lot of... Seems like a lot. Well, and Yeah, I mean, but that's that's why her books are still used to this day by the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Wow. What are they? Um, so I'll tell you about them in a, in a second. But So her first book was published in 1858 by her husband, and it was called The Great Controversy, Ooh. which was a history of sin from the beginning to the end. And basically uh, it covered like a lot about Satan, and the 1844 movement that ended with the basically the great the great disappointment, and uh, the end uh, the uh, the end of times. Oh shit! What happened? Mm-hmm. Well, it was uh, more or less. I feel like that was her way of like kind of establishing her vein of Adventism, mm-hmm. where a lot of it has to do with sin instead of Jesus coming back. Oh. Okay. Um, like 1844, yeah. we are entering the end times. Yeah. But, I mean, her, her most well-known and read series is called The Conflict of the Ages. Really? What the hell? That sounds like and, a good yeah, Harry Potter. Like Harry Potter and the Conflict of the Ages. Um, Kind of. That sounds pretty good. W- that would just be like him... Deciding whether or not to like masturbate in public with the invisibility the invisibility clothes on. <laughs> yeah, and like who's he, who's he look at? A sixteen year old girl or an eighteen year old woman? Like that's the conflict of the no, he's ages. Like, he's like nobody can see me, but this is wrong. And like, what if it slips? Uh, you know, what if what if I start jerking it too hard and like I pull it off and people see my ass sticking out oh, and then geez. they all know. And, like what happens with the cum? That's a, that's a conflict. You just shoot it on the invisible cloak. Now it's gonna be sticky. Har- yeah. What if can't people see that? <laughs> Can they? Harmony comes home like Harry. Why is your your invisible cloak all sticky? Why would you mean Ginny? No, the the girl he gets married to, Harmony. Yeah, G- Ginny Weasley. No. The- yeah, Harry Potter marries Ron Weasley's younger sister. Gross. And Ron and Hermione get married. Harry Potter is a pedophile. That's the conflict of the ages. <laughs> well, don't ruin it for all the kids, okay? They don't know that George dies. A George but, dies? Um, Who's George? Sorry, I meant Hedwig. Sorry, I meant Snape. I'm so sorry. I meant Dumbledore. I don't know um, who any of shit. these names are. I'm just ruining like, nobody all cares. of this for you. Okay, either way, this five-book series, <laughs> the fuck? Uh, she, she published it from 1890 to, eight, to 1911, oh. which was all after her husband's yeah, death. Yeah, interesting. That Maybe that's hmm. the conflict of the ages. Huh? Like Now that that battle <laughs> axe is gone, I can finally let my freak flag fly. Is what she said. Uh, so actually, I tried to I tried to break it down for you. the The conflict of the ages uh, is a series that follows the biblical history of the world, 
with special focus on the conflict between Christ and Satan. Okay. Uh, it is split up into five books. The first one is Patriarchs and Prophets, which Jeez, uh, what was this written in uh, with, 1890 or 2015? Uh, am I right? <laughs> oh. That would just be called uh, Patriarchs and Matriarchs. That would be called Patriarchs and White Guys. And why we should kill yeah. them. <laughs> And why they deserve to burn. Patriarchs and prostitutes. Pop it like a pimple. Um, either way. So it starts with Patriarchs and Prophets, right. uh, which is the pre-creation rebellion of Satan in heaven, and then moves on to creation and runs through King David. Okay. And then number two is Prophets and Kings, which covers all of from King Solomon to Malachi. Uh Three is the desire of ages, which covers the life and ministry of Jesus. Number four was uh, Actos of the Apostles, which covers uh, the Great Commission, which was when Jesus instructed his disciples to spread the good word, uh, all the way to the book of Revelations. And then the fifth one was called the Great Controversy, which covered from 70 A.D., through the church history to the end of sin and the end of times. Oh, wow. That's, um, is this where, uh, they get the numbers? What do you mean? Like the, uh, the number of, um, the years that, uh, earth exists or whatever. Like the age of uh, the earth. No. Because it's no, like, no, no. oh, it's 7,000 years old. And everyone's like, how did you figure that out? And, Oh, I did the math. <laughs> no, no, that's not that's not from her. Oh. Um so which one of the weird things is that she actually she published them entirely out of order. Oh, that's that's pretty she funny. She published them she went one, three, four, five, two. Why? I don't know. It's how she wrote them. Do you know that there was a show like that? I forget what the fuck it was, but a show and there was only like one season and it was released like that. It was released like one, episode one, seven, three. Like it was all out of fucking order. And uh, yeah. You talking about Freaks and Geeks? No, no, no. It was an unsuccessful show. Oh, because Freaks and Geeks only had one season. And the final episode is super weird because they didn't think they were going to get picked back up. So, like, they ended the entire show, but they also, like, kept it open for another season. Mm. <clears throat> it was really strange. It made no sense in the plot line of the season. Yeah, I never watched it. But so, um, you know, besides everything that I already told you about, yeah, what exactly kind of makes her such an extraordinary person, right? Like, what makes her one of the top 100 Americans of all time? Yeah, she doesn't sound that all that interesting so far. So it's her take on theology, education, and health reform. Oh, she's okay. a Bernie Sanders supporter. Kind of. I'm making it topical. So her theology was, uh, the theme was the Great Controversy, which is, you know, from, uh, it's like, basically, here's the entire history of the church, and... Uh, here's like why Satan 
fell and like his whole war and then here's to the end of times. It's very uh, Christ-centered on salvation by grace. Obedience uh, was a true sign of genuine faith, which I feel like is still kind of a thing. Well, that's what all religions want people to do is be obedient. Like, yeah. don't question what we're telling you. But what about this? We said, don't question what we told you. <laughs> um, so on education, she was she wrote about education a lot. Um, her first essay came on it, came out in like 1872 in a periodical called The Health Reformer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was all for uh, the quotes from her is that the working with youthful minds was the most delicate of tasks. The manner of instruction should be varied. That was, it was really cool. She like felt like every kid should learn the way that they learn and not like be institutionalized more or less. Um, and she wanted to make it possible for high and noble powers of the mind to have a chance to be developed. Okay. By basically giving them like room to question and create. Uh, and she also pushed for Christian educational schools, like, a full-on educational system based in the Christian faith. Everything that this woman uh, talks about or thinks seems to be pretty on par with how people see and think nowadays. Yeah. Now just wait for her health reform. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, but except for schooling. Because uh, no, one, no one does the schooling mm-hmm. thing. Like They still want people to be like sitting in a classroom and be bored all the time. I mean, kind of. They they really, if you look at school, though, they have taken leaps and bounds on making it better for people who learn differently, you know? Because, like, uh, you know, they, they have the gifted and talented programs where they have people who are genuinely smarter than their compatriots put together so they can actually learn at a higher level pace of learning and they also put the slow kids together to learn a slower pace of learning right you know they they do they do kind of make it for the kids but it still i mean in, in the u.s it sucks because we have uh george bush to thank with his uh was it standards of education yeah no child left behind that's it no child left behind yeah that really fucks over a lot of people it leaves a lot of children behind. You're telling me. And I come and pick them up. <laughs> with your with your uh, van that the ceiling is caving yeah, in? Yeah, and I have paint candy written uh, with paint on the side of it. And, uh, and, and easily open water bottles for them. Yeah, no, you know, like it's just like water. Yeah, you don't want to tell them that it's roofies. It's or a whatever, little bit but, of know. medicine in there. Uh, yeah. So... <laughs> So on health is really what makes her huge. Oh, uh, So she wrote Councils on Diet and Foods where she gives advice on the right foods to eat and she also talks about moderation. What? That's what I always talk about, but I never really do it, but I talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now, the Seventh-day Adventists to this day follow her ideas around health with healthy eating, a balanced diet, uh, no tobacco, no alcohol, avoid all caffeine, um, very strict kosher rules Mm. with vegetarianism. Interesting. 
Yeah. So now, like, the vegetable has to, the to be general health... prepared by a by a, um, rabbi. No, 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 no. It's just like there's a lot of specific things in the kosher rules of eating that you know not a ton of people know because not a ton of people read the legitimate kosher rules. It's more than just like bless things by a rabbi. Yeah. Okay. Like wipe your. A lot of it. A lot of it, especially for vegetarians, wouldn't apply because a lot of it is like don't mix milk and meat, uh, don't eat animals that have that chew their own cud, don't eat any uh, things, don't eat any animals with cleft hooves, don't eat any shellfish or bottom feeders. You know, there's a lot of things like that. Eat- Eat uh, eat fe- eat uh, vegetables and meat with the same hand that you wipe your ass with. Yeah, exactly. And don't wash in between. Never wash um, in between. No, that's that's anti kosher. Yeah. Yeah, dip your hands in some some kosher salt afterwards. Mm, now that's kosher. Mmm, stings. But so. All of that they still do to this day. But back when she laid down these rules, which, to be fair, is an extrapolation of the Millerist rules, which are an extrapolation of the Grahamist rules. Oh, man, this is going back three generations. It goes back to Sylvester Graham, (sighs) who is the father of vegetarianism. But she is really the one who makes vegetarianism mainstream. Besides the next person we'll talk about. Can't wait. Um, I can't either. This guy's fucking insane. <laughs> but so the uh, the medical advice of the day when she was pushing for this stuff was that um, if you're sick, you should drink port wine. You should eat very raw meat and avoid all vegetables. That was the medical advice for what to do when you're sick it doesn't seem very uh, like I love all that stuff but I wouldn't eat it when I'm sick but this is this is also like the time where like they like doctors would like prescribe you to smoke cigarettes because you're coughing a lot got it or like uh, smoke cigarettes to increase your lung capacity (laughs) here let me write you a prescription this is the same time where, where if you had a toothache, you literally had mints that had cocaine inside of them that made your mouth feel all tingly, and it was made for, like, children to stop having toothaches. I love that. They should bring those back. Yeah, dude. No, the 1800s had some awesome quack medicines. Or I'm like, we should still use that. No, we definitely should. We got to bring back <laughs> that. Cocaine mints. Uh, well, and so so here's one thing that we do have to touch on. No pun intended. Uh, she, Ellen White, is also very anti-masturbation. Well, you know, we can't all be perfect. And, of course, a woman would say that. I guess. Like, no jerking off because it's too I mean, much Miller, fun for you guys. Well, Miller Miller wasn't. No, like, dude, ma- they're not talking about, like, guys just masturbating. They're talking about guys and girls. They didn't even know how to masturbate a woman yet. Eh, 
it, and there's a lot that they end up doing that we'll talk about in the next episode. But uh, you ever heard of what they do to you know young African girls against their will? Yeah. Yeah, you ever heard of when they do it with like acid? No. Where instead of like just like cutting off her uh clitoris? Nah, her labia. Labia. They 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 they, they circumcise them with chemicals. Gross. They literally like burn their vaginas. <laughs> That's horrifying. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Um, but just a quick side note on the masturbation take of the mid-1800s, okay. because the next guy we'll talk about was very against it. Yeah, no, this um, is... Many noted speakers on health at that time have been going around the nation speaking out about the dangers of what they regarded as excessive or abnormal sexual activities, particularly masturbation, which was thought to cause a frightening array of of pathological conditions ranging from uh, dyspepsia, which is just bad indigestion, to consumption, which is tuberculosis, uh, to insanity and loss of spirituality. So she was very against masturbation because it was the consensus of the times. Oh, okay. Um, And also, like... I like everything Christians have also been really weird about masturbating for a long time right like don't spill your seed Mm -hmm. or else it Um, it grows into a a human tree yeah it's just like how if you eat like a a a black watermelon seed (gasps) oh what happens grow into a full watermelon in your stomach what no it doesn't does it yeah yeah really that's what happens oh geez that explains why uh my ex-girlfriend was uh was growing watermelons so out rotund. of her face. <laughs> Boo. Uh, so here's my last little interesting thing on this lady before we, uh, we we clock out for the night because I'm just too excited to tell you about these next few people. I can't wait. Um, so because of her strict health-forward rules surrounding food and drink consumption. No one was happy, and she killed her uh, husband. Sure. You can believe whatever you want. Um, In 2015, the National Institute of Health did a study on Californians uh, because there's a big pocket of Seventh-day Adventists in California. Mm. And they found that Adventists live four to ten years longer than the average person. Oh, wow, that's interesting. That's really nice. Like four to ten years longer? Yeah, that's crazy. So you live to be like, what, what's the average age? Like 85? So you live to be like 90, 95? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's a lot, that seems like a lot of fun. Well, I mean, it's mostly due to them not drinking or smoking, the fact they have a day of rest every week, that they eat a very healthy and portion-controlled diet, and it's usually low fat vegetarian that's normally like focuses on a lot of nuts and beans. Yeah, I'd rather die ten years earlier. So than they that. get a lot of protein. I mean, same here, but like 
I mean, to be fair, she lived until she was 87. Wow. That's eight. That's a. Yeah, she died in 1915. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a tough 87, too. It's like yeah. 120 oh, now. Yeah. I, mean, I guess she kind of died right before the majority of the hardship. Yeah, but before the majority of people started dying. Yeah. Like she saw like a really prosperous America and then like what she officially knew as the only world war. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that Yeah, the world war was around then. Mhm. And then she died, and then, like, immediately after that, we were like, we're so fucking dope. Look at all the money we have as a country. And then, like, five years later, we're like, fuck, stock money yeah. down. Dis- Everyone kill yourself. Disease, famine, uh, uh, fucking... Shanty towns. Everything. <laughs> Dust bowl. Honestly, sh- sh- shanty towns are probably one of my favorite terms to come out of the Great Depression. Yeah, that's it's 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 pretty fun. It's also called a Hooverville. Yeah, Hooverville. Yeah, we just moved into the Hooverville down the street. Oh, you mean that shanty town? No, it's a Hooverville. No, it's a lot nicer to say Hooverville because that's our president, J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, it's like it's like uh like someone's like, oh, did you just get a motorhome? They're like, no, we got a Winnebago. Wow, how exciting. That's real nice. <laughs> What's it do? It's a it's a mobile home. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a, it's a home on wheels. Yeah, gives us everything we need. Has a pop out for the kids, so they have a full bed to not hear us bone quietly in the back. As my son takes an adult size crap in the uh, <laughs> bathroom, that the only door is a small sliding fake. Wooden screen door. Yeah, very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. It's, it's like constantly shitting in an airplane, <laughs> but you never take off. Oh, man. That's that's life in a fucking Winnebago. By the way, we're You're sponsored right. by Winnebago. Uh, everyone buy Winnebagos. <laughs> we only love Winnebagos on the Wild Wasteland. Yeah, we love it. Tight, cramped con- uh, quarters. Yeah. Looking mm-hmm. at each other all the time, sleeping together. Yeah, it's a Winnebago Wild Wednesday. You're telling me. But so that is our little episode on Ellen White. Wow. Thank you so much for listening. Thick episode. Like a thick chocolate shake. Mm-hmm. Get ready for the next one where you're really going to want to slurp it all up. Oh, <laughs> okay. I mean, maybe not. It's A lot A lot of it's on enemas, but either way. Mm. Uh Thank you all for listening. I love each and every one of you. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next yeah, week. Thanks for listening. Remember to hit us up on Instagram. We have that shit now. Oh, yeah. Follow us on Instagram at, what is it called? Oh, Wild Podcast. At Wild Podcast. Yeah, dog. All right. Well, I love you. Have a good week. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.